Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. And welcome back to another Umfeed podcast with your host Shabir. And today I'm very excited. Uh, I have actually an old friend of mine uh, who's joined us today for this show. Uh, mashallah, he is a hafiz of the Quran. Uh, he's a graduate of the Islamic sciences, someone who studied quite extensively. Uh, in this country, uh, which is a change because usually uh, when we invite scholars um, or students of knowledge onto the show, um, you would have realized that most of the time they mention that they've probably been abroad, they've been to places like Egypt, uh, they've been to places like Medina and they've studied there. But it's always good, especially for, for many of us who don't have the opportunity and the chance to go abroad to study, to hear the other side, which is, in fact, can we study uh, and can we gain a high level of of knowledge um, here in the UK or or where you are? Um, so it gives me great pleasure to to introduce uh, our guest and my dear friend uh, Ustad Haris. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum. How are you, bro? You okay? Alhamdulillah. How are you? Good. Alhamdulillah. Good to have you on the show. Alhamdulillah. It's uh, it's been a while. I know we've been talking about it for for a while. Yeah. Alhamdulillah. Um, and you've come all the way from, from West London, yeah. which for us yeah. is a different city <laughs> to get here. Um, so, um, you, obviously I've known you for, for quite a few years now. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, for those of you who don't know, we, me and Ustad Hadis, we, we had the pleasure of studying together as well. MashaAllah. Good old days. <laughs> studying together. Um, so, obviously you, you've been studying for quite some time now. Alhamdulillah. Um, alhamdulillah. And uh, you studied here in London, yeah. most, most of it. We'll come to the Arabic side actually. So before that, you did your hifz. So you, yeah. I think we're very similar in that sense. Like we yeah. did our hifz first, and we we were even both in Leicester in the same city <laughs> yeah, at one yeah. point, and then we ended up in London. Yeah. So okay, great. Um, so hifz wise, uh, when did you when did you finish your hifz, and when did you start? Like what was that? What was that like? So I started at a young age, and mm. um, it was kind of my father who pushed me to start hifz, mm. um, and he put most of the effort behind <clears> me. Uh, at that age, I'd, I wasn't too keen on it because I was still young. I was around nine, ten years old. Yeah. Um, but it was kind of a tradition in our family mm. um, to memorize the Quran, etc. So my dad, he pushed me to start memorizing the Quran. Yeah. And I did around twenty-three juz with mm. my father, um, and he taught me tajweed, etc. Thereafter, I went to um, Darul Ulum Leicester, so mm. Islamic Dawah Academy. Um, I enrolled there, and the main purpose behind that was to finish my hifth. Yeah. Um, because, as we know, as in studying at home, there's no you know timetable. It's a bit yeah, hit yeah. and miss, right? Um, so because of that, my father he he urged me to go to Darul Ulum and to revise my Quran to make it solid and to finish it off. So that's how uh, um, I finished it off. I was about 18 years old. Yeah, when I finished, uh, okay. so it's quite late as opposed to other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I finished when I was about fifteen. Yeah. Um, and then you hear stories of loads of other people they finish like twelve, thirteen. Yeah, yeah done. Yeah. Um, so it's 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 fairly. It's not late. I mean, eight, of course, eighteen <laughs> is still very very young. Yeah, yeah. Um, but maybe for those accustomed to like doing hev, yeah, yeah, it sounds quite late. So, yeah. Um, but it's good, as in it's it's, it's encouraging for others to hear that mm. you don't need to finish it when you're when you're a kid, right? Exactly. Um, so that's that. Uh, by the way, just just to clarify that. Ulum because a lot of people might not know what that even is, right? So basically, how would you describe it? It's like an Islamic seminary, but it's more like a boarding school, right? Yeah. So you went you went down the boarding school route, something yeah. I never did myself. Uh, I, I, I got homesick too easily, so <laughs> I had to be with my family when I was that age. Yeah, yeah. So what was the boarding school experience like for you? Um, alhamdulillah, I think there were positives and negatives. Um, the yeah. pod- positives <clears throat> were that 
you kind of become a bit independent because mm. when you're staying at home with your mom, you know, you're getting you're getting food on the table. Everything's yeah, pretty yeah. much easy. Um, but then when you have to go out, you're living away from home. It kind of makes you independent and you become stronger as a person. It builds mm. you as a person. So on that side, um, there, were, there were a lot of positives to take. Um, on the negative side, you know, the fact that you're away from home, you don't mm. get to see your parents as much. You don't get to spend time as much with your parents, etc. Um, and, you know, the fact that uh, it is quite a strict environment, mm. which uh, doesn't really work well with a lot of people. Yeah. Um, you know, there were many people who didn't really like it. And because of that, they left. So those are the kind of negatives that I found uh, when studying. At Darul mm. How often were you able to like go home, for example? So we were allowed to go home every two weeks for literally just a day and a half. So we okay. would break up Saturday afternoon mm. um, and then we would come back Sunday about 5 p.m. Yeah. Right? Um, but the problem was because I was living in London mm. and the Darul Uloom was in Leicester, I never used to go home. Yes. I used to go to my auntie's house who used to live in Leicester. So it wasn't mm. too bad in that sense. Mm. But then exam period, there was no holidays for like two, three months. Wow. So there were times where we were locked up there for about two, three months and that was difficult. That's, that's difficult. Yeah, that was that's really difficult. See, like, obviously you mentioned, it's good you balanced it out. You mentioned yeah, positives yeah. and negatives. Um, like for me personally, I could I could never do it. Like, you know, boarding. <laughs> obviously, I've lived now, I've lived away from home for a long time. But yeah. I'm talking about, you know, the boarding school yeah, environment yeah, yeah. being there. Uh, I can do it. I think, I think maybe everyone's different. Um, I had a lot of friends that did it. And uh, some of them, just like you said, they yeah. couldn't hack it and they left. Yeah. And others, they got on with it. Uh, I think I'm just kind of, yeah, I'm just kind of on the other side. Where <laughs> I, I, I can't. It's just that yeah. being, being, you know, like, um, like you said, everyone's different. So for me, it's more like um, being stuck in one place kind mm. of thing. I, you know, when you're living away from home, you go to uni, you're you're moving about, you're doing yeah. different things. But you know, when you're in the same place, I think I just find that difficult. Yeah, um, as in, I, I guess that's another negative. As in, it has yeah. it has a big impact <clears throat> on your mentality. Mm. Um, so your perspective changes, and like you said, because you're stuck in one place, that's all you know. That's your world. But mm. when, when you come out, you 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 open up to the reality of things, and um, I guess that's uh, some of the challenges that graduates from Darul Uloom they have. Yeah. So. It's it's it, yeah it's interesting uh, it's, it's very interesting because um, again by the way we're not we're not sitting here criticizing anyone right but what we're trying to say is I guess is it's just it's just the nature of human yeah. beings like if you're in one place you don't really see the outside world yeah, exactly. you're not communicating with others and you're not really in the know of mm. what's happening around you and you're just kind of used to the same kind of routine same people same place yeah. then naturally like naturally that's just you're bound to to think like like this the, yeah, the, the exactly. people that you're with right yeah. um so yeah i mean like i said there's positive negatives um and alhamdulillah of, of course a lot of great work that's happened and, and uh, many great great scholars have, yeah, yeah, have yeah. come from these places so you know definitely definitely a, a a key positive side to it uh you mentioned something interesting which is that um you have like a, there's like a tra- tradition in your family so is it what do you mean by that you, do you come from like a background of hafaz and ulama yeah. because so, so if your dad taught you i assume that means your dad is also an imam yeah, so himself yeah alhamdulillah as in my dad is a hafiz as well <clears throat> mashallah um and what i mean by the tradition in my family is that it actually started off with my great grandfather okay um who uh, he he took that time and that effort to uh, become a hafiz and he studied mm. um and he actually um, I found this out recently that he actually went to Burma 
Mm. And uh, he served as an imam for about six years in Burma. In Burma? In Burma, yeah. And uh, they offered him uh, the position of becoming the Grand Mufti of Burma, but he declined it. Wow. Um, because he wanted to go back to his hometown and yeah. serve his hometown. Because at that time, there wasn't, you know, Muslims were there, but not much was going on. So he established a madrasa in, uh, in the village that uh, my family is from. And that's how kind of the tradition started. So that's in India. All of his, yeah, that's in India. Yeah. Um, all of his, all of his uh, children, they started memorizing the Quran, they became alim as well. And that's how that the tradition started. And Alhamdulillah, it's still, still going on. Wow, mashallah. That's, that's, that's really amazing to yeah, hear. Um, like, for example, with me, complete opposite. Complete opposite in the sense that there was no one in my family, no one in my generation that had ever gone down that path. Yeah. You know, like, it's unheard of to have a hafiz. Um, so for me, it was like a different challenge in mm. that sense. Like, all right, I'm going to take this take yeah. take the initiative and, and try and you know thing but i guess there's a positive and negative on both sides, yeah 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 100 percent, 100 the negatives in terms of coming from a family that's used to it is that they they don't really <laughs> appreciate as much yeah, as yeah. those people who don't really have a lot of father did you did you feel pressure in that sense um not really because my intention was never to study um <clears throat> as in the the pressure was there yes you have to become a hafiz yeah um just to kind of fulfill you know mm, the conditions mm, of being mm. in the family mm. um but uh, in terms of be, um, doing the alimiya i never had an intention but subhanallah you know allah put me in such situations where i had to i thought this is the best route for me let's talk about that then <laughs> so basically uh, um i was in college and uh, i was doing my a levels and what happened was the first year of a levels didn't go too well for me yeah um i failed my exams and uh, uh, because of that i dropped out of college mm. and coincidentally that was a precise moment where my grandfather so my dad's dad he 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 was uh, diagnosed with cancer mm. and uh, he, my dad had to go back to india and at that time my dad was an imam of a masjid that just started um, close to my area mm. and what happened was because he had to go for about four to six months, there was no one to take care of the masjid in terms of leading salah and leading Jum'ah and running the madrasa. Um, and at that time, I was free. Uh, I was 17 at the time, and my mm. dad told me that, listen, I need to go. So you have to kind of just run the masjid, <laughs> you have to right? Step up. <laughs> so I had to do it, and that kind of forced me into this path, right? right. So I started leading salah, leading Jum'ah, and. Um, you know teaching kids madrasa etc mm. and that's how i kind of got interested i got a you know a real sense of pleasure that this is this is what i want to do so when my father came back um that's when i decided to you know enroll onto the alimia course mm, so it started with going by going to leicester finishing my hill <clears> off <throat> and, then, and then in london okay yeah. so in terms of your so when you were studying so you study arabic so i take it that would have been at least about six years or so yeah. six years or so um so alhamdulillah like now you're in a position where you're an imam yourself and you have your own um you know like establishments yourself uh, which is which is and now you're in a position to like you know delve into these classical texts and and read arabic and speak in arabic and you know it's a dream of many people yeah. um but obviously to get to that position because obviously we know uh, we've studied with many people and we've seen whether it's people we've studied with people that we know yeah. who have studied you know you have different levels you have some people that kind of just get get on with it and by the end of it they're still not you know even after six seven years oh. they're still not very um up to scratch with everything that they've learned there's others that 
excel and they even you know surpass their teachers in some cases right and you got others in the middle that kind of thing so for you to get to the position that you were at obviously it would have taken a lot of hard work a lot of studying yeah. uh, a lot of revision um what was that like because you're in the UK and the standard kind of mentality is yeah. that if you're here you're not going to like you can't learn arabic here you have to go to Egypt you have yeah. to go to Medina you have to go abroad um it's funny by the way because <clears throat> the amount of people that I've met personally that so I've I've met in even I've been for umrah and and I've spoken arabic with certain individuals and then they ask me oh so mashallah like where did you learn arabic and I'm like yeah I studied in London they're like London. <laughs> they they the can't <laughs> believe it, bro. They can't believe it. They're like, what do you mean you studied in the UK? Yeah. We thought UK is like just non-Muslims and there's nothing, yeah. uh, you know, at all Islamic. I was like, no, no, no. There's institutes, there's massages, there's everything here. And then like, subhanAllah, like there's one time I was at, um, you know, Hardy's, right? Standard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone goes for the burgers in uh, Hardy's in, in Medina. So I was speaking to the guy just whilst he was getting my food ready. And then I spoke in Arabic and then finally, same question. He's like, where are you from? So I said, yeah, from London. And he was so shocked. He literally gave the food for free. He's like, take <laughs> it, man. <laughs> and I was like, so I just speak a bit more Arabic. Right? <laughs> but you know, it's so common. Yeah, it's so true. Everywhere I travel, people think, like even re recently I was in Switzerland. Same thing. Oh. They think even though it's in Europe, it's, it's yeah. close by. But because of how different things are, like we're very blessed in that sense. The amount of things that we have going on yeah. here in London sure, and sure. in in the UK. Um, so that's the uh, the reason why I'm mentioning all of this. That's the standard <coughs> mentality, yeah, right? Yeah, 100%. Um, <clears throat> how you, how did you find that? Because uh, let's just confirm. Have you step? Have you studied abroad? No, I've never studied abroad. Right? So as in what you said, it <coughs> always happens to me, right? Yeah. As in whenever I go to a masjid to give a talk or a course, yeah. or whatever. Um, I've had cases where they just have this pre-assumption that I've studied in Medina. Yeah, yeah. So there's yeah, times yeah. I, at this time people have come to me and said, "Oh, so when did you gra graduate from Medina?" Mm. I was like, "I never. <laughs> I studied exactly, in East yeah. London, <laughs> right?" So um, I've never studied abroad personally. Mm. Um, so after I finished my my hivd in uh, in Leicester, I came back to London and I decided to enroll at uh, Ibrahim College. And that's where I learnt my Arabic mm. and all of the other Islamic sciences. Now, in terms of um, challenges, I would say that just as how we have positives and negatives when it comes to Darul Ulum, yeah, we have positives and negatives when it comes to studying uh, the way I studied and the way you studied. Mm. Um, for me, the the negatives were that there's a lot of distractions, oh, right? Yeah, yeah. Distractions in terms of you know, especially time. Right. Yeah. There's many distractions, but the most challenging for me was <clears throat> trying to take that time out and balancing normal life with mm. study life. Right. Whereas when a person is in Darul Ulum, that's the, his life is about that. All yeah. he's doing is studying. He's got nothing else to do. Mm. Right. Whereas when you're studying um, daytime and you're living your normal life, you have to balance work. You have to balance family life as well as uh, studying. The positives is that you are engaged in the community. You know what's going on. Uh, I had the opportunity since I started studying to serve my community, right? Mm -hmm. So I started Tajweed classes, Arabic classes. Um, I, I started doing imamat on the weekends, yeah. right? Um, courses, lectures, etc. And that, that kind of gave me that experience that was required mm -hmm. when I graduated. So that's the massive positive side yeah. of studying um, the way I studied, alhamdulillah. Um, other than that, another positive is that uh, that has an impact on your mentality. So we were talking about mentality earlier, mm. that when you're in Idarul Ulum, often what happens is uh, 
people they develop a very narrow-minded approach to a lot of things mm. whereas when we studied at Ibrahim College you know during the daytime etc um, our minds opened up right we were more willing to um, accept the challenges of society we, yeah. we are aware of the challenges of society right mm. so that's a that's that's a huge positive I guess there's yeah like you said I mean that's a really good point and I think the distractions bit that's a huge <laughs> huge thing because you know studying here and then going back you know obviously even just on the way like you you, you have to commute you have to yep. get here and and there's so many things that can go wrong along the yeah. way and then you have to go back home and you have weekends yeah. etc so you're not in one place so exactly. in that sense that you're opened up to the the reality right uh so that has its plus side yep. but at the same time this how did you deal with those distractions um, to be honest, initially I did struggle, yeah. right? so I found it very difficult to manage um, <clears throat> the travel because one of the challenges that I personally had was the travel. The travel was We're coming from another country, tra- West London. Exactly, right? <laughs> so as in, it used to take me an hour and a half sometimes, and I don't know if you remember the strikes that happened. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I came in that day, it took me four hours to come wow. in that day, right? Oh. So as in, I used to get to <laughs> Ibrahim College in the mornings, I used to be exhausted, mm. right? because the travel, uh, especially rush hour times, we've got our books. Right, a yeah, lot of times yeah. you're not sitting down; you're standing for like an hour and a half. Yeah. And when there's delays, right, it, get, it, it makes it even worse. But I guess you know, one thing I've kind of observed is, um, when you're in that situation, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala He makes it easy for you, right? Mm. Um, yes, it's difficult initially, but then eventually you get used to it. Mm. And even sometimes when I travel to East London, right? Today I came by car, but as mm. in when I travel on public transport to East London, I was thinking, how did I do it? Right? Yeah, yeah. But then it's amazing because it's like when you're going through that difficulty, it's like Allah gives you the ability for that specific time, mm, right? Oh. And then when you finish, then, you know, you find it, you start thinking, <laughs> yeah, how yeah. did I do it? I can't yeah, do it again, yeah. right? It's like, it's like with anything, isn't it? Like yeah. any act of worship, yeah. you think back in Ramadan, how did I exactly, not yeah. stay away from food and drink for that many hours? Exactly. If you do it for two, three hours an hour, but Allah makes it easy for you. So yeah. in that sense, it's true. But yeah, it's it's there's there's so many different challenges, and um, to overcome that is not easy at all. You it's know? not easy, you know, because um, you know, like I said, shaitan is always there. Because obviously, I tell this to my students as well <clears throat> that when you're seeking knowledge, because mm. it is a sacred path and it's a path that leads to jannah, as we know from the hadith, yeah. um, shaitan will do anything he can to try to take you away from this path, right? Mm. Um, and I often say that if you're studying part-time, shaitan's going to work part-time on you. If you're studying full-time, shaitan's going to work full-time on you, mm. right? So we used to get, you know, I used to get a lot of waswasa from shaitan that, you know, this is not for you, you know, you're imperfect, you know, you got this this, this uh, defect, that defect, you don't deserve to seek knowledge, this is a sacred path, it's not for you. Yeah. And every year, I remember, at the end of every year, I used to make intention to leave that, you know, I don't think it's for mm. me, it's too much, right? I used to get waswasa, or, you know, are you really going to travel for the next six years like this? <laughs> right in the rush hour you know during delays etc right so there is a lot of challenges but like i said with dua with discipline with you know advice from my teachers which is a huge huge impact that that had that had on me right having uh, that my teachers whenever i would feel a bit down whenever i would feel um that i can't carry on anymore Mm. i'll sit with my teachers alhamdulillah you know they would give me that boost that motivation that i required um so i would say that um if a person does want to study the way i studied you mm. need to have immense discipline and you need to have that support that moral support from someone elder mm. right your teacher your parents etc but you know when it comes to for example um arabic right yeah. so what what would you have done and what tips would you give for someone again we're, we're talking about you're not in an environment at all no one's yeah. speaking arabic around you it's literally up to you to 
open up books uh, because look you can attend classes yeah. you can sit in the class but that's like it's you're not going to walk out knowing everything are you this is the teachers giving you the teachers imparting yeah. knowledge but then it's up to you so what did you do further than than what the teachers gave so you? i used to make it a habit of <clears throat> listening to youtube lectures in arabic okay right and uh, trying to converse with my classmates and with my teachers in Arabic as much as possible. Mm. And as well as reading books, even though, as in, for example, at the end of my first year, I didn't mm. know Arabic as well. Um, but I just forced myself just to read books, even though I didn't understand it. Right? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I would get the gist of it and then I would get this buzz, right? That, yeah, mm-hmm. I can do it. Yeah. And then, you know, and that's, that's how I kind of developed. But in terms of environment, you have to create that environment. That mm. environment is created by you. Um, being disciplined with yourself and with your fellow classmates if you're studying in a class and try to converse in Arabic as much as possible. And that yeah. that's where that kind of culture of Arabic is built. Mm, you know, uh, one thing that comes to my mind is, I think one of my teachers, they mentioned this, it's like, it's not, in. It's obviously being in a certain environment, it helps, right? But it's always down to the individual themselves, yeah, isn't it? Because... You can have someone, and I actually know people that have been to places like Egypt for like yeah. six months, yeah. studied there, been in that environment. They've come out with not much at all because when they went there, they started relaxing, yeah. chilling out, going to see the pyramids instead of, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, instead of studying, yeah. right? And then you've got others who have been here in this country, and they have mastered the Arabic and they are giving khutbahs and yeah. they have a very deep understanding. So end of the day, though environment helps, we're not saying that you shouldn't travel and you shouldn't study with other scholars, but honestly, it's down to your mindset and mentality. Oh, like If oh, you put the work in, that's what you're going to get at the end of the day. Yeah, as in a person who goes to study study at Medina or <clears throat> Azhar or yeah. whatever, as in if they don't speak Arabic, as in they're not going to yeah, benefit yeah, yeah, from yeah. that environment, right? So it's yeah. like you said, it's up to the person. You have to be disciplined 100%. and you have to have that passion. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Well, so when it comes to subjects, what uh, personally for you, uh, what was your favorite and what were you looking into the most? Or um, even until now? When I was studying, um, I really loved fiqh. Right. Yeah. As in fiqh for me was like you know the main subject, okay. right? Because it's it's very logical and you know you have to really think deep and mm. it's like a puzzle, right? So for example, when we studied hidayah, right? As in it's like a puzzle that you're trying to crack, and <laughs> yeah. then when you, when you when you when you crack that puzzle, you get a buzz. Yeah, yeah. And I used to enjoy it so much, but in terms of uh, you know lecturing and teaching, I found that the most enjoyable is tafsir. Right. Tafsir yeah. is definitely the 100%. most enjoyable. Um, so in terms of personal studies, I would say fiqh, but in terms of lecturing and benefiting the community, I found that people respond the mm. best to Qur'an, and that's one of the beauties of the Qur'an. 100%. I'm with you on that. To be fair, though, <clears throat> in the sense that you mentioned fiqh, I, was, I wasn't I was into fiqh as much even during my studies. It was always tafsir for me, yeah. like the Qur'an. To be fair, that's the only reason why I studied Arabic. Because after Hifz, I was like... I have to understand yeah, exactly, what was yeah. happening, and again, like understanding. I think a lot of uh, with tafsir, people think that it's just about translation. It's not yeah. about just knowing the, uh, the the bare translation. There's something more to tafsir that when you open up the books and you now you're reading the background of the verses, you're reading the fawaid, the lessons <coughs> that you can take, practical steps that you can bring into your life. Yeah. Then you start seeing it opening up, and and I guess the more you study Arabic, the more you can appreciate. You know, why has Allah chosen this word over that word? Yeah. And, and you go deep into it. And honestly, for me, it's it, like you said, it's such a buzz and it opens up the Quran for you and it helps you just day to day, you know, um, to improve yourself. So I think with Tafsir, 100%, like uh, I'm with you on that. So 
in terms of tafsir, um, so we've discussed even in the past, and you know, a surah like Surah Al-Kahf, for example, where and and we've had podcasts in in the past, like with uh, Ustad Asim, uh, Ustad Asim Khan, where we've spoken about like tafsir shouldn't just be like I said, like a translation, nor should it just be just quoting, okay, Imam Al-Qurtubi says this and Ibn Kathir says this. It should be relevant, right, isn't it? Because the people, most of the people who haven't studied Arabic, who haven't studied Tafsir, they're not going to have a clue what you're talking about. Ibn Kathir said this, you know, this century scholar said this. So how would you go about, for example, taking a surah like Surah Al-Kahf and how would you make it relevant to, to people? I think I think when it comes to <coughs> tafsir and lecturing on tafsir, yeah. in order to get especially the youngsters engaged in the, with the Quran, yeah. you have to speak in their language, mm. right? So even even small things like translating the Quran, right? Translating yeah. the Quran, you shouldn't be using you know thou and thy and all that, right? Because <laughs> yeah. as in people are not going to understand that. That's not yeah. how people speak. So. Uh, it starts off by translating the Quran in a manner that people understand mm. and thereafter contextualizing it, right? So if a particular verse is talking about, um, for example, the benefits of Jannah is that you're going to be in shade. Now, the people in Britain are not going to really appreciate that, right? Because yeah. we're always in shade. Okay, yeah. so to to kind of contextualize those verses and give them that context that, okay, for example, when you go for Umrah, Right, and you're in the heat, and you're traveling to the haram. When you enter the haram, you feel a sense of relief. When you enter your hotel room, you you feel a sense of relief. Why? Mm. Because now you're in shade. Okay. So when you give that context, that's when people think, "Oh, right. Okay. So this mm. is what Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is talking about. This particular blessing yeah, yeah. of Jannah. Right. So that's that's the best advice I could give for anyone who wants to um, kind of teach tafsir is to always contextualize and. When you are deriving or sharing benefits and yeah. uh, lessons from those verses, try to give them some action points to take away. Right. Mm. So you're you're delivering a dars, right, a halaqa of tafsir. At the end of that halaqa, try to give some action points. That this is what we've studied so far, yeah. and these are the points that we can take away. That you can go do your homework, which is to apply whatever mm-hmm. we've learned in these verses. Okay, so that's that's the advice I would give. Interesting. So let's so since you're on the podcast, let's do a live tafsir session <laughs> with <laughs> with Ustad Haris, and let's get some benefits from a few verses. Let's get some practical steps, if if we can. We, yeah, we don't have sure. we don't have time to go too deep course, into it. Course. By the way, just out of interest, how long, on average, would it take you to to prepare? You know, for, for for to deliver a session or a halaqa, because um, I know it can get very deep. You know, yeah. Like so as in, I I do a halaqa every Friday evenings, yeah. and uh, I tend to spend around three to four hours. Right. Wow. Um, on how long for, is the actual uh, uh, session? How long is the, the session? The session is about an hour long, okay. right, roughly. Um, so I spend about three to four hours. Uh, looking at different books. So what I try to do is look at classical books like mm. Tafsir Qurtubi, Tafsir Ibn Kathir, but also look to, look at more contemporary books like um, Ibn Ashur's mm. um, uh, um, book of Tafsir and Imam Sha'rawi's book on Tafsir, yeah. right? Because they give that modern context to mm. you know some of the lessons that we can derive <clears throat> from those verses. Um, so yeah, spend about three to four hours. I'll say. Okay, interesting. Yeah, so yeah, it's it's uh, a lo- uh, I think a lot of people they don't know that. Again, it comes back to what we were saying that there's a lot more to it. There's a lot oh, yeah, of layers, and and in order for you to to be able to prepare something and deliver it, and then dumb it down for people as well, you need to have a huge context yep. and background 100%. in it. So, okay, let's do our live tafsir session yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, with Surah Al-Kahf, and we'll mention why later why we've chosen Surah yeah, Al-Kahf yeah, as well. It will tie in nicely. Yeah. Um, so, Surah Al-Kahf, what if you were delivering a session? What would be the first things that you mention? 
So I'll talk about, you know, um, whether the surah is a Makki surah or a Madani surah, how yeah. many verses it has, and some of the main themes of the surah. So whether mm. the surah talks about, you know, um, the foundations of belief, uh, talks about the hereafter, talks about Jannah, Jahannam, the oneness of Allah, the attributes mm. of Allah. So mention all of the themes of the surah, and then we will start verse by verse, translating, doing the tafsir, if there's any cause of revelation, talking about the cause of revelation, and lessons that we derive from those verses. Mm. Um for me, when it comes to um, tafsir of Surah Kahf, one thing that really stands out for me is how Allah Azza wa Jal in this Surah, He talks about different trials and tribulations throughout the entire Surah, right? Mm. And this is why, one of the possible reasons why Allah or uh, the Prophet told us to um, recite this Surah every Friday to yeah. remind us of the trials that we are facing. Mm. And if you look at the sequence of those trials, Allah first talks about the trial of Iman. Right, mm. that these youngsters, the sleepers of the cave, um, they were tested in terms of their faith because they were living at a time where the king ordered everyone to um, worship idols and they had concern for their iman. Mm. And I think this is very, very important because, um, especially for youngsters, that in order for you to safeguard your iman, you need to have that concern, mm. right? And how do you have that concern by developing passion for deen? Right, developing passion for your connection, your relationship with Allah, and um, because they had that concern, they made dua to Allah that oh Allah guide us, right? Yeah. And they ended up in the cave, and Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, um, you know, He caused them to sleep for a number of years. Yeah. And if you look at the sequence of those verses, one thing that really stands out for me is that when Allah He introduces the the story of the people of the cave, um, He gives like an overview. Right. So it's like a it's almost like a trailer. Right. An overview of what is going to come. Right. Mm -hmm. So he talks about how, you know, um, the people of the cave, uh, they were worried about their iman and they made dua to Allah. And Allah says, ala fil adada, That, you know, we, we cause them to sleep. Literally, ala that's a whole discussion <laughs> in itself. Right. Yeah. That literally we struck like a seal on their ears. Right? And why does Allah mention ears in particular? Because it is through our hearing that we wake up straight away. Right? So, uh, and, and then Allah, uh, that's how Allah kind of just summarizes the entire surah. So it's mm. like Allah is giving us a peek of what is to actually come. Mm. Right? And then Allah says, نَحْنُ نَقُصُّ Right? Mm. That now we're going to relate the story. If you're interested, read more. Right, it's almost like a you know a blurb to a to a novel, mm. right? That you read a, you read the blurb. If it's interesting, you purchase the book yeah. and you start reading the book, right? Mm. And that's something really amazing that Allah does in in that particular surah. In terms of relevancy, obviously, you know, even that that particular story with yeah. these, these these youngsters who literally, you know, they they were trying to hold on to their faith exactly, in a time yeah. where. You know, everyone else was was the complete opposite, yeah. and in a time where there was oppression and the, yeah, and there was all these challenges. And in terms of relevancy, it's very relevant to the day and age that even we're living in, yeah. where people are literally trying to hold on to their faith, exactly. and everyone around them is doing other things that are contradicting their faith. And you know, they had to take a certain step. So you know, it's it's when you look at the Quran like that, I think that. You know, there's so much more you can take as opposed to just thinking, yeah, it's just a story yeah. from 1400 years ago that was revealed. It doesn't really, you know, because there's that argument, which is today, a lot of people say the Quran is an ancient book. You know, how does it relate to me? How does the Quran relate in any way? So what would you say about that? Because clearly from the way that you're doing tafsir and, and, and the way that we've been taught to do it, there's a way of 
yeah. making it relevant, you know? So, uh, as in, my answer to that would be that Allah in the Quran, He gives us various principles and foundations which can be applied at every time, mm. anywhere in the world, right? And that's the beauty of the Quran. So, for example, when we are looking at a particular story, and there's many stories in the Quran, right? Yeah. You look at a particular story, don't look at the story itself, right? Look at the foundations and the principles of the story. What is yeah. Allah actually trying to tell you? Right? And that's why at the end of Surah Yusuf, Allah says that لَقَدْ كَانَ فِي قَصَصِهِمْ عِبْرَةٌ لِأُولِي الْأَلْبَابِ Allah mm-hmm. says the people of intellect, meaning the people who actually ponder over the Qur'an, they'll be able to pick out these foundations, these principles, which they can then implement in their lives. Yeah. Right? So I think that would be the simple answer. Yeah, because it, uh, it's funny because when you read some tafsir books, obviously it goes into detail, yeah, yeah. Uh, and some people are very much uh, they they love their detail. You know, what's the names of the people exactly, of the cave? Exactly, yeah. What's the name of the dog? Exactly. Right, <laughs> that was in the cave, right? So like they're looking at that kind of stuff, which is it's good to have some background yeah, yeah. knowledge of. But you know, when you get so caught up in the detail, you miss you miss the bigger picture, which exactly, is why yeah. did Allah reveal the exactly, surah? Yeah. So what would be the your last few kind of practical lessons or gems that you would summarize, whether it's this portion of the surah or anywhere in the surah, what, what would you give? Well, look, as in the main lesson of the, the people of the cave is mm. that Allah is teaching us the the importance, number one, of having concern for your iman mm. and how to preserve your iman. So the first step that every single person, whether you are a youngster or not, if you want to safeguard your iman in a society which invites you to all types of distractions yeah. and trials and tribulations and sin, is the first thing that you need to do, number one, have concern for your iman, and number two, make dua to Allah. Because this is exactly what the people of the cave did. And yeah. thereafter, the significance of the cave, right? Yeah. I often tell a lot of my younger students that from time to time, you need to develop your own cave, whether that be you know in your rooms, whether it be at the masjid, mm. where you seclude yourself, and you ponder over the creation of Allah, you ponder over the attributes of Allah, and you <clears> ponder <throat> over the words of Allah, right? Yeah. Spend that time, and every single person should be doing this every single day, where they seclude themselves, and they use this opportunity to disconnect from the world so that they can connect with Allah, right? Mm. And this is kind of the main lesson that we're learning from the people of the cave. Yeah, it's, very, it's a really good point. And this is, it reminds me even... Um, in the very first episode we did, first ever podcast, it was with Sheikh uh, Sajid Omar. Yeah. And he mentioned the same thing. He said every person should have something which he calls cave days. Yeah. Isn't it? Because the Prophet did something very similar. He went to the cave, just withdraw himself from exactly. everything and just reflect. Uh, and in the day and age of you know the yeah. internet and social exactly, media yeah. where we're constantly connected, constantly connected, like there has to be that time. And it's interesting because like even experts in like psychology and you know business people and personalities like they speak about this stuff nowadays we're talking about non-muslim personalities like that are famous they say you need time every day you need me time or you need meditation time obviously for us it's different you know we don't call it that we have we have our prayers and we have our different ways of connecting with allah but it's interesting there's that parallel you know that that connection where It's very important for you to reflect and, and build that connection with Allah. So I think that's really good. Uh, uh, thank you for the live no session. Barak <laughs> <laughs> Um And let's let's move on to, since we're talking about Al-Kahf, and you mentioned about the importance of the cave. <laughs> it's, it's funny because also you have, alhamdulillah, something you set up yeah. um, not long ago, 
what would you call it like a, an institute an organization um, because it's it's kind I'm, of like I'm hesitant to call it an institute because yeah. institute gives a lot of um, connotations and it sets kind of a particular culture so okay. that's why I haven't called it an institute yeah, I would yeah. call it more of a project okay yeah. In- interesting so the project is called Al-Kahf it's called Al-Kahf so tell us yes. a little bit about why so, you set Al-Kahf up um, Al-Kahf is basically a project that I started mainly for people who want to seek knowledge mm. um, and our our kind of vision was that we want to make Al-Kahf as unique and different as possible, mm. right? And one of the ways that we're doing this is by um, running tailored one-to-one classes, okay? Mm-hmm. Which, okay. alhamdulillah, I started <coughs> with only uh, one or two students and now they've increased to about 23, 24 students. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I'm starting to get other teachers involved as well. And the reason why I, I initiated these classes is because previously... I was doing a lot of courses, right? So courses on Arabic, courses, courses mm. on Tajweed, etc. But what I found is that it's not sustainable, right? Um, especially in my area. Wallahu alam, Allah knows best other areas. But um, I could 100% say this about my area, that it wasn't sustainable simply because there's lack of flexibility. Mm. So for example, you run you run a Tajweed class on a, I don't know, a Saturday night, right? Now... One week you'll have, or the first day, mashallah, everyone's going to come, right? It's yeah. going to be full attendance. But then a couple of weeks down the line, you're going to start seeing a lot of people yeah, missing, yeah. right? Some people are missing. Some people will text you saying, oh, I can't come. I've got family commitment, this, yeah, that, yeah. right? So there's lack of flexibility. And another kind of downside of this type of setup is that you miss one class, you're going to fall behind, mm. especially with Arabic, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the student's going to feel that, oh, you know, I've missed too much now. It's no point carrying motivation. on. Right? Yeah. So the tailored classes that I started, it fills all of those gaps, right? So there's so much flexibility. It's at the time and a day that suits the student. Mm. And it goes at the pace of the student. So if a student is um, a bit slow, then you can slow the pace down. If the student is a fast learner, you can speed the pace up. And what I'm doing with all of my students is that I'm making for them a learning pathway. So for example, they're studying Quran with me at the moment. What's the next plan? Right, they're memorizing Quran with me at the moment. What's after that? Right, mm. so each student has their own kind of learning pathway, and the end goal is for them to recite the Quran in the correct manner, mm. whether that be you know memorizing a couple of juz or the entire Quran. I have actually some some students, subhanAllah, even though they're in their 30s, they are memorizing the Quran with me, and they've Inshallah. done about 12 13 juz already. Inshallah. Right, so and it's beautiful because you. As a teacher, I'm engaging with with professionals, right? So Mm. I'm teaching doctors, I'm teaching dentists, I'm teaching pharmacists, right? Mm. I'm teaching mechanics, I'm teaching computer engineers, (laughs) right? And what you see all of them coming together from different backgrounds for the same purpose right mm. at their own time at their own pace but they're all going to a particular destination and that destination is that they all want to recite quran correctly they yeah. want to understand the foundations <coughs> of deen and they want to understand what they are reciting right mm. the basics of deen which everyone should understand um so the end result for all of all of my students is that i want to take them to a level where they you know, it's basically like the third or fourth year of Alimiya, right? Mm. Where they have a solid understanding of deen. They are reading Arabic books. They are studying fiqh and all of the other Islamic sciences. And they're also teaching at the same time. And my vision, inshallah, Allah knows best if it's going to work out or not. But my vision is that I want to hand over this project to my students. Because a okay. lot of my students, um, a lot of them are professionals, but a lot of them are youngsters as well. In their early 20s, mm. they're still in uni. They're graduating from uni. And, you know one thing I try to do is to mentor them, 
as much mm. as possible, right? Give them advice, you know, life advice. Mm. Give them advice on their spirituality, right? Sometimes students come to me and they have a lot of problems going on at home. And, mm. they, and they say to me straight up, I haven't done my homework for this week. And I say, <laughs> okay, let's talk about it. Why didn't you do your homework, right? Not in a kind of, you know, teacher-student relationship, yeah, but it's more yeah. of a friendly relationship. And that's what the one-to-one does, right? Mm. It allows the student and teacher to connect in a, a very unique way that you wouldn't normally get in, in a class. Mm. So that's roughly what, what I'm doing. And as in, I'm mm. running other projects that complement the studies of um, all of the students. So uh, I recently, just last week, I started a course on uh, the 40 hadith of Imam Nawi. Mm. And that's only open to the one-to-one students. Because what that does is, you'll only get serious students who are going yeah, to stay yeah. there right, for the entire period of the course. right? Mm. And what that does is, they're all studying Arabic, the people who signed up, that complements their Arabic studies because they're going to be memorizing the hadith, mm. right? They're going to remember, okay, I, t- I studied Mubtada Khabar, right? Or oh, this hadith is Mubtada Khabar, this hadith is Mudaf, Mudaf, mm. ilayh, right? So it's going to be complementing what they're, studies, uh, what they're studying. And inshallah, in the future, you know, I, I plan to run retreats, uh, days out, uh, monthly tutorials, etc. Mm. Just to kind of give that tarbiya element of it as well. Sounds good. Sounds really good. Mashallah. Um, uh, one thing I was going to ask you, I had a couple of questions in mind based on that. So let's just say there's many people listening, um, very busy, right? other commitments. Um, what would your advice be to people who always, there's mashallah, there's a lot of people out there that have the, um, they have the desire to study. But for one reason or the other, they're committed already to work, family commitments, too far out, different areas, like you said. Uh, what would your advice be to these people um, who want to study? Um... The first thing that everyone, especially adults, need to understand is how much you actually want it, mm. right? So one thing is having the niyyah, having the intention of doing something. Another thing is having azm, yeah. right? When you have azm to, to, to seek knowledge, which is firm intention to seek knowledge, yeah. this is when you'll actually be able to seek knowledge, right? Mm. And the reason I say that is because I'm teaching students who they're very, very busy, right? So, for example, I, I teach this one, one dentist, right? Um, he works in central London six days mm. a week, right? <clears throat> wow. And he's got a family, he's in his 30s, he's got a very pressurizing job, but he comes to me twice a week, I'm actually teaching him tonight, right, he (laughs) comes to me twice a week, right, and he memorizes the Quran. And mm. sometimes I ask him, you know, as in, and he's amazing, right? He's he's really an inspiration for myself to to keep on going, right? Because he's he he fasts on Mondays and Thursdays as well, right? So even though he's fasting, even though he's got commitments, he's, he'll still come in, mm. and he'll still recite his portion of Quran to me, right? And sometimes I ask him, you know, how come you're doing this? You know, where do you get that energy from? Where do you get that motivation from? Mm. So he tells me that look, if you really want to achieve something, right, you'll come across challenges all the time. Yeah. But you really want it, Allah Azza wa is going to give you the ability to overcome those challenges, right? So first of all, every um, aspiring student of knowledge needs to ask themselves, how much do you actually want it, right? Do you want it like 110%? If you do, then we can talk, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say, you look, discipline, you need, you need to have discipline, you need to be... Uh, you need you need to um, you know look for a good teacher, a yeah. teacher that will motivate you, a teacher that will push you. Right? Yes, you are going to come across challenges. Shaitan is going to be there all the time, but mm. that is part of the challenge. Um, but eventually, it's going to lead to a particular sweetness in seeking knowledge as well. Yeah, no, it's it's, it's a really good piece of advice, and you know, Subhanallah. Even I've come across so many people that you just think, how are they? How are they doing it with all these other commitments? Like I, I've known people that just to study, they've they've had to like live in places yeah. where there's like 
five, six people in one room. Yeah. But they had to do it because they didn't have enough finances. They had to study. And those people are the ones you'll see. They'll go very far. And then others are like half-hearted. You know, I want to study here and there. But that's it's it's what you give, isn't it? That's what you're going to get back in, in return. So, yeah, definitely a good piece of advice. And one other question I had was... Um, <clears throat> what would you say is the priority to study? Because everyone wants to study Tajweed, everyone wants to study Arabic language, everyone wants to study Tafsir. What would you What would you advise is the first subject to study? Uh, Sira as well, for example. Yeah. So, as in, when I make my plan for my for my students, yeah. I would say that look, ninety nine percent of my students they study Quran, mm. right? Whether that be from the basics, or I have some students who you know they they're men, right? But they're studying from Alif Ba. Mm. Right, they've got other students who are memorizing the Quran with me, but all of them, pretty much all of my students, are studying Quran. So I would say you have to start with Quran. Okay. Even if you look as in <coughs> in the lives of the pious predecessors, right? You had the likes of Imam Bukhari, you had the likes yeah. of Imam Shafi'i, um, and all of the other scholars of, of of the past. They started their journey of seeking knowledge by memorizing the Quran. Okay, mm. and what that does is that it really ingrains the taste of of, of iman, the taste of Deen. Right within a person's heart, yeah. and then I would say study the basics. You know, alongside if you can do it alongside of uh, with Quran, study the Sirah because that's very important. Study the basics of Fiqh, study yeah. the basics of Aqidah. But Quran has to be the starting point for anyone's um, journey of seeking knowledge. Yeah, it makes sense, especially with Tajweed, yeah. Salah. It's going to have an impact on yes. your on your everyday prayers and and your acts of worship. Mm-hmm. It just reminds me. It's funny because uh, as soon as I asked a question while you were speaking, I remembered. You know, like. When, as a student of knowledge, every lesson you you go to with your teacher, the teacher of that subject will tell you that my subject is the most <laughs> important. So you, you sit in tafsir, and yeah. then your teacher's like, Quran is the most important thing, and you sit in fiqh, and like, no, but in order for you to fiqh is most important. Arabic is is yeah. funny. It just reminds me. Every teacher will say, but it's true. End of the day, Quran, especially tajweed and and pronunciation yeah. uh, um, efficiently, is is very important. So a good piece of advice. And um, to end with, what would uh, be your your future plans in place? What what do we expect from Ustad Haris? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, like I said, as in with Al Kahf, it's not something that I want to commit my entire life to, yeah. because ultimately, what I'm trying to do is give a platform to uh, local brothers who mm. and sisters, inshallah, sisters are gonna. Uh, the, that side is going to open up mm. soon, inshallah. Um, so to give that platform to local brothers and sisters, students of knowledge who have that platform to um, give back to their community. Because one of the one of the problems that we have in in our societies is that um, youngsters don't have a platform, especially students of knowledge, mm. right, who are studying. They don't have that platform to gain that experience of giving a lecture, you know, delivering a course or a dars, mm. right? So that's something that I'm trying to do. So over the next six, seven years, inshallah, I plan to establish this platform and to make it known, especially within my, my area. Um, and thereafter, hand over this project to my students. And then inshallah, um, I'm not going to retire, but <laughs> wallahu alam, maybe, I'll go back to, <laughs> maybe I'll go back to imamat. Um, yeah, but yeah. it's not, not, not 100% sure at the moment. But imamat, by the way, is something I've been, uh, I wanted to ask you. I wanted to ask you yes. without going into details. But it's so obviously you, you got into imamat. So yeah. what we mean by that is um, officially taking up a role, a position within yeah. the masjid, right? Leading prayers and, and day-to-day um, kind of tasks within the masjid itself, lectures, whatever you want to say, counselling, right? Um, so I, I actually, I forgot to ask you this, which is just the, those challenges, because you, 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 you dived into it quite young. Yeah. What would you say? Going Looking back, would you say um, that was a good thing? And, and you got 
a good amount of experience or would you say it was too early to get into a role like that I need to be more experienced um, to be honest it's a bit of both right so mm. it's more there's more positives than negatives the positives okay. were that um, people knew me in the community which is yeah. why I could start something like Al Kahf okay. right so people knew me in the community they knew what I'm doing they knew what I teach etc yeah. um, I established myself in the community and thereafter, I started this project called Al Kahf, right? right. Um, I do think it was a bit early because obviously, when you're young and you've just, you know, graduated, I actually studied Imamat while I was studying. So on yeah, the weekends, yeah. when I'm not able in college, I would be yeah, um, yeah. in my local masjid uh, leading the salah and delivering uh, classes. Um, so um, it was early in the sense that people don't take you as seriously, right? Especially, you know, people who are running the masjid, right? They don't <laughs> take you as seriously as yeah. um, as they should, and that kind of leads to this informality. Um, with the, the, the people who are running the masjid and the, the imam. Mm. Um, imams has have a lot of challenges, um, but nevertheless, I would say that it's a very good position to be in, yeah. which is why in the future when I'm a bit more you know, experienced and older, <laughs> inshallah, I want to go back to it. Inshallah. May Allah make it easy for you. Jazakallah khair, Ustaz Haris. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. It's a pleasure being here, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. And all the best with uh, your future projects, inshallah. Barakah And I hope you all enjoyed, inshallah. Let us know in the comments below what you thought, what your experiences are as uh, a student of knowledge, as someone who's tried to memorize, what would your tips uh, be? Let us know, inshallah. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and, of course, on iTunes as well. Uh, more podcasts coming your way, inshallah, from myself and all of us here at Ilmfeed. We will see you very, very soon. Take care. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.